Hello everyone and welcome to the Movie Change Up Podcast. I'm your host for today, Joe Fricky. Uh today we're doing a little something a little bit different. We're not doing a normal episode. We're trying out something a little bit new. This is gonna be kind of our Hall of Fame and the category is gonna be villains. We're gonna be going around. We've each picked various categories and determining what thing in the realm of movie villains are we putting in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm joined today by my, you know, normal co-hosts, Johnny, Bobby, and Tristan. Uh, Johnny, kind of what were your thoughts in, A, picking your category and then making your choices for everyone else's categories? You know, I kind of wanted to diversify mine a little bit, go with a lot of favorites, and I feel like I ended up picking some ones that are very similar to each other for different categories, but I thought all worth the fight. So wait, wait, let's see, what's that? Oh, my little friend is talking to me. The movie Change Up Champion. And, you know, I'm going to hold on to this baby for a long time. And I'm not looking forward to uh, ever losing it. So you guys have some challenges coming at you. But besides that, for today's episode, it's not on the line. I'm excited to just flaunt it and uh, have some more fun debates with the team. Tristan's asleep. Like, we're streaming over there. All right. And, uh, yeah. And uh, Bobby, kind of same question to you. Any, what were your thoughts in picking your category or picking your? Yeah, I I had a mixture of most of mine were favorites. I I I felt like one of them was like the first thing that popped into my head when for a category and went with went with that. Um, it's kind of like a, oh yeah, that that should be in there in a Hall of Fame. But I I think it should be fun. I like Tristan's uh, mimic uh, mimicking Johnny from a stream earlier uh, last He's week. He's not sitting up straight. Um, you you were up straight for part of it, but in the very beginning, you were very slouched like that for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, it should be fun. Um, I'm curious. This is the, this is obviously our first episode doing this format. Uh, I want to see how it goes and what makes it into our villain hall of fame. All right, and uh, Tristan, if you're awake, you got the same question. Ugh. Oh God. Sorry, guys. Had a lot to drink on that stream, so I pass out really quick. But yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I went you know, for one of my categories. Went with an easy choice, which was just the best movie villains. I think that's a staple for this kind of an uh, episode. But I tried to do something unique. My, I'll tease it now. My choice was layers and bases. I thought that was something kind of rather than just picking a villain, it's picking something about the villain. Like a, I think of Bond villains. I think of people who have these really intense like moon bases type things. So I'm really excited to see. Uh, the arguments for some of this stuff and i'm excited to see what you guys picked for a lot of these categories we have a wheel this time that's going to pick the categories so we'll be doing it in kind of a random order so i'm excited to see too like what the order is is going to be all joe first round and he's out <laughs> or is there we going to have it be a little more diverse it'll be fun to see how that goes all right and yeah uh, if everyone's ready i think we should get started tristan spin the wheel all right i'll go ahead and well, spin let me let me before we start i should probably read the categories uh if you're watching on video format, uh, you can see our categories to the right. But if you're listening to the audio version, uh, our first category is uh, villain sidekicks. Then we have villain monologues. Uh, of course, villain performances, villain deaths, villain costumes, animated villains. And then, like Tristan said, we also have layers and bases as well as overall villains. All right, Tristan, now you can spin the wheel. All right, let's go ahead. I've got this very elaborately produced wheel out here with the ultimate wheel in the middle here, Thanos. Let's see what we got. Our first pick is Villain Monologue, it seems like, right there in the middle. All right. All right, I believe that is the, my category that I chose. So 
everyone's going to go around the horn. And I think how we decided this is going to work is they're each going to give me their initial pitch for their monologue. I'm going to immediately rule out one. And then the other two will kind of fight it out and we'll determine who is going in the Hall of Fame of villain monologues. And Johnny, you are up first. All right. So villain monologues, I feel like there's a lot of epic, scary ones in history. But I don't want something else. And I'm just going to do it. Because I used to have this scene memorized, but I had to write it down for this. <laughs> Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize. He would drink. He would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy. The sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. At the age of 14, as a roastery named Vilma, ritualistically shaved my testicles. There really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. It's breathtaking. I suggest you try it. And then Dr. Evil and group therapy is cut off by the leader of it for probably good reasons. Um, I wanted to go with something that was comedic and funny and a great memorable scene and also kind of mocks other villain monologues talking about their past. And this one kind of just goes into um, random categories and just has a lot of really funny scenes and the delivery in the actual scene is uh, amazing. So I think that's Hall of Fame worthy because it's different than anything else that I could have thought of for this, even though at first my head went to more serious ones. I ended up going with uh, one of my favorites. All right. And is that, that's from International Man of Mystery, right? The first yes, one? Yes, correct. Okay. okay. And uh, Bobby, what is your, what monologue is your pick from? So I did not uh, write down the monologue, um, but what I did was I, I went with one that I think, this is the one I picked that it's like when I saw the categories, this is the first one that popped in my head, more of a, I think this deserves into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and that is Rutger Hauer's speech as Roy Batty, the tears and rain monologue in Blade Runner. Um, I think that that is captivating and he delivers it with such passion and it is a really good like climax to the movie uh, with his death there. Um, in that scene, um, he put a lot of input into it. So just as an actor, it's a cool moment for him changing the script and kind of putting his own, own twist on it. Because um, overall, like I like Blade Runner. I It's not as high on my list of movies as most people, but this speech is something that I'd go back and watch because the scene is, is fantastic. Um, just the, even just how it's shot with the rain falling with the, the blue kind of uh, tones and under and um, what it looks like and all that. I, I think that just as a performance, as a monologue, um, and also just as a story of how the speech came to be, I think it definitely de- deserves in the hall of fame. Okay. And uh, Tristan, I think I remember what you told me your pick was, but. Yeah, so for my monologue pick, I went with one that was also pretty serious and one that I think is like an ultimate kind of monologue that sums up a lot of what makes a villain monologue, and that is the Jack Nicholson monologue from A Few Good Men, the You Can't Handle the Truth monologue. I could read the whole paragraph out, but I could not replicate Jack Nicholson's uh, energy and performance of that scene. I think it embodies what I think a a villain monologue really is, where it's him kind of confessing to his plan and him like changing the way that a hero views him and views the story i think that is what kind of sets a villain monologue for what it is something that kind of comes at the end and like changes the way you look at the character and kind of solves some of the questions of the story and i also think it, it 
really reflects like how much Jack Nicholson's character comparatively to Tom Cruise's character is so different and like they're very different views of the world and views of truth and views of justice. I think it sums up his character really well and it sums up the conflict of the movie really well and it put uh, Aaron Sorkin on the map as one of the biggest writers in Hollywood. So that's my pick for a villain monologue. All right, you guys did not make it easy for me in eliminating one of them. I was kind of hoping one of them would be kind of shitty. Um, I'd say let's throw this out there. Let's go around in a circle and just nominate one that you think deserves to be eliminated quickly to kind of help you with that decision. All right. if, we, if you guys think that's fair. All right, so <laughs> I'll start. I, um, I, it's going to be tough on this one because we all picked great scenes. I'm not going to argue that anyone's scene or monologue isn't great. I think if I were to eliminate one, it might be Tristan's just because I think the more famous line from that is that you can't handle the truth and not much else is very memorable from that actual speech other than him just saying, kind of falling into the trope of a lot of the, uh, especially 90s, like um, trial movies where it's like, hey, here's my entire plot that I'm just going to spell out even though I'm trying to avoid doing that. And then the most famous line is kind of after Tom Cruise breaks up the thing. So that would be my only reason um, I think Tristan's would be eliminated first. All right. Uh, Tristan, Bobby, you got any? I mean, I'll... yeah, they're they're all good scenes. Yeah. Um, I do like, like, you know, like Johnny said, Tristan's like the one main line, but I think you can pick out of most mo- monologues like one main line. So I don't know. It's hard to, to pick just one yeah. of these three to quickly eliminate. You're supposed to be helping Joe. My, <laughs> my position here is I think they're all good monologues, but the reason that I'm going to go with Johnny's to be the eliminated one is that I don't think it's that's not the first thing I think about. I think of Awesome Powers or even Dr. Evil. Like, there's several great scenes in that movie, and I think when you talk about Bray Runner, like, within a minute or two, you're going to come to that monologue. You're going to talk about that line. You know, when you think about Bray Runner, that one line is, like, the one line everybody remembers, you know, like, like Tears in the Rain. That's something people always talk about. And same thing for me. Like, if we talk about Few Good Men, like, you're going to talk about that monologue. You're going to talk about that line. Whereas I think Johnny's monologue is not necessarily one that stood out among the many good scenes of Awesome Powers. All right, Bobby, you got any thoughts to help me out here? Am I, or did we just have two people All attack right. each other and leave me with no help? Okay, so if I'm going to be the deciding factor, if I'm going to pick it, I think I, I side a little bit more with Tristan because the you can't handle the truth. I think it is important to have like one main huge line that people remember right. from a monologue. So that's my thought. All right, I got my I got my pick. I think the one thing I love about a villain monologue is that when it's between the hero when you have a great scene between the hero and the villain and i think what might knock johnny's out and down is the fact that like you said it's in like the counseling scene and it's not like a you know battle but in a in a battle between austin powers and dr evil and so with that i'm knocking johnny's dr evil speech out as Makes great sense. as it is as great as it is i love yeah. that scene. It's a great scene i kind of wanted to just go over that one and bring uh bring some light because like tristan said in his Knock on mine is it's not as uh, one that is remembered, but I think it's the best scene in the whole. Yeah, it's series. a great scene, but it's yeah. definitely I think it's just not quite as memorable. All right, so that leaves us with two. I have to battle it out to kind of remain the last monologue standing. All right, um, look, I I think what it comes down to is it's hard to knock performances. I think they're both fantastic performances, but I think this is a Rutger Hauer career making like you. If people think of him and this is like his 
performance as a villain. And it is with him and Harrison Ford um, in the scene. And it's breaking down his entire character and motivation. And it's just a fantastic performance. It's emotional. Um, he dies at the end of it, which adds to the, the drama going on in the movie. It's kind of the climax of that character. Um, and I guess that's more my argument for mine. My argument for mine is that among Jack Nicholson's like dozens and dozens of memorable performances, he's done so many great characters in so many great movies. This is a monologue that stands out among all of his characters. Like if you talk about Jack Nicholson's career, you're gonna get your chance to talk about this monologue and a few good men. And sure, Rutger Hauer, like this is an embodiment of his career, sort of. But I think it's more of a testament to the quality of the few good men monologue that among all of Jack Nicholson's great characters, whether it's a Joker, whether it's like The Departed, whether he's had all a huge range of careers even in different genres and i think the fact that this monologue stands out among so many of his great performances really shows like the power of that monologue in that scene all right johnny you've kind of been knocked out and we've talked about this before any any kind of thoughts on where you would lean you know i think uh, you know i picked tristan's to be eliminated first out of the three of ours but i knew mine was the weakest of them and probably thought mine would be eliminated first but if I'm picking between the two, I kind of go with what Joe said, and um, it's something I didn't really think about when I picked it, but a good, great villain monologue is something between the villain and the hero, and I think Tristan's is a little more effective um, in doing that. Bobby's is kind of just the villain talking before he dies. There's not a ton of interaction with him and Harrison Ford there, and Tristan's has the great interaction. It's kind of, like I said, it's tropey of trial films, but that is the movie you could argue that started that trope so i think it is more influential than bobby's scene as great as it is the only decent scene in that whole movie as far as i'm concerned but i think tristan uh tristan chose one that actually you could watch a film today and think back to it and be like oh they, you know they totally stole this from a few good men <laughs> all right and uh it might be because i spent a lot of my early days on youtube watching those prank phone calls where they used video clips from movies but i've always had an emotional <laughs> emotional attachment to the Jack Nicholson prank phone calls. Hey, it's a great scene. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to go with Tristan, and he will win the monologue with Colonel Nathan R. Jessup of the United States Marine Corps. You want me on that wall, you need me on that wall. My original pick that I pivoted from to go more funny with it was the uh, the horror the horror from the end of Apocalypse Now, I think is yeah, that's my personal favorite, but I wanted to go with something a little more comedic because i figured the other two would go a little more serious with it so it's gonna be a good episode we had three good mm -hmm. picks already i hope that yeah. like the quality will keep up yeah yeah none based none on the ones that i got from you guys for my categories it, it will be full of that everyone cool yeah my other category right. too i like that i like your guys picks tristan spin the wheel all right we'll see what's next Next time I can turn the sound effects on, you know, we'll get yeah, a nice little... Yeah, click, 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 yeah. We're landing on performance. Almost. All right. Yeah, we made it performance. Okay, so I that I is Johnny's, I believe. I, yeah, yeah, I'm excited because, because that was one that I chose. Um, I think at the end of the day, great villain comes down to the performance, and I think all three of the monologues we just said were great performances from actors doing those villains, and I'm excited to... After knowing your picks, I'm excited to see the debate on this one. It's going to be very difficult to eliminate any of them. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with Bobby. What did you all choose right. and why? So I chose one of my favorite performances of all time, and that is Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards. 
Um, I think he is one of the most intimidating villains in a movie like of all time. Uh, that opening scene alone could put him in the Hall of Fame. The tense, the way that it's shot, his delivery of his dialogue, switching between French and into, into English, and still keeping you captivated um, as an English-speaking audience. Um, and then you don't know throughout the movie if he's going to have you killed or if he's going to laugh and make a joke. Like, you don't know uh, what he's going to do. You're kind of on edge the entire time he's on screen. And just that um, that level of intimidation and uh, allowing Christoph Waltz to kind of chew the scenery, but in a way that works, because sometimes when he's not with, um, not in uh, these movies, he's a little bit more, you know, out there and it doesn't quite work. But he is... He's so good. He's so intimidating. He gets his due at the end. Uh, he get like I like how his story is kind of finished at the end with him getting kind of branded or well with the uh, the you know the Nazi symbol and all that the swastika. But he I think overall his performance he just carries that movie um, in a movie with a lot of great performances and it's one of the best performances I think of all time. All right. Tristan, that's a tough one to fight against. What do you got for us? So for me, I went with an actor who I think more than any other performance maybe ever like single-handedly defines and kind of carries a character throughout an entire franchise. And for that, I went with Robert England as Freddy Krueger throughout the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I think that character could have been so dark and kind of forgettable like so many other slasher villains. Like no one talks about the performance of Michael Myers, the performance of any of the other horror slashers, but I think... Robert England's become a horror icon because of his performance, and I think he was able to bring in that kind of comedic charm that I think ended up defining the franchise. And even the worst Nightmare on Elm Street movies, like some really terrible ones like The Dream Child and that kind of stuff, are all like watchable because of his performance, and he brings a lot of energy and charisma to that character and really gave him his identity and his personality. And all that stuff kind of came from England's performance rather than like the writing or the iconography of the character. And I think that's just a really powerful ability to make that it make define that character and um, how many decades later now like Robert England's on Stranger Things season four now and like that's purely because of his iconography and performing in this character in this role so that's my choice for performance a really iconic character that was defined entirely by the performance and he lasted out through the entire franchise of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street all the way obviously a remake recast him but throughout the core franchise the original franchise he was there all the way through all of those movies so i think that's a good choice for me of my performance all right good argument much different than what bobby went with um but one just as iconic if not more iconic joe what is your choice uh my choice i decided to go with sir anthony hopkins as hannibal lecter in silence of the lambs he's you know a limited amount of screen time in that movie but he kind of dominated that movie when you think about that movie you think about him uh, he won an Oscar for his performance. Uh, he's basically he could outsmart the hero, but he was also still, you know, incredibly. You know, there was a visceral kind of violence about him as well. He's locked in a cage. You know, he couldn't get to the hero, but you still, you were still scared of him. And I feel like that's kind of like if Hans Lada, Hans Landa or any of these others are. I mean, not so much Freddy Krueger, but most you know movie villains, they're locked in a cage. You, you, there's not really that much fear of them, but. Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter is locked in a cage and you feel like he can get out and there's that fear. So that's why I went with Hannibal Lecter. All right. This is going to be a really tough one because you guys span three different decades. We got 80s, 90s, and 2000s on here. 
and they're all some of my favorite movies, some of my favorite performances. Um, Bobby, if you had to eliminate someone else's off the bat, what do you think you would go with? I think because we're talking about performance and not iconography, I'd have to go with uh, Freddy Krueger to eliminate. Um, I think that, like, obviously it's a, it is a good performance in, and it um, stands out, but it takes a lot of those movies to stand out. Like, there's a lot of bad in that franchise, um, and he doesn't necessarily save it. And it, where, what it comes down to is we have two Oscar-winning performances, and we have one that is more iconic, but the performance itself I don't think is up to the level of an Oscar-level Oscar performance. Yeah, it's kind of where I was leaning as well. Tristan, defend yourself, because it looks like they're both picking you. Which I'll one would you want to I'll defend myself really quick and say that I think the iconography is only exists because of the performance, and I don't think he'd be iconic without the performance. And I also wanted to pay tribute in my pick. Like, sure, you guys are, like, Oscar-nominated, but I think there's more to a villain performance than just, like, a award-worthy performance. I think there's a element to villainy in movies that's, like, camp and kind of, like, over-the-top and, and fun, and I think Freddy Krueger brings in that kind of fun. Uh, if I was going to eliminate one, it would be tough, but I would. Pr- Anthony Hopkins, I think, is more of the award embodiment kind of uh, performance, like the one where everyone talks about, like, oh, that great villain performance, that like award-winning performance is Anthony Hopkins. So I would probably keep Joe's on and then cut Bobby simply because I think that Anthony Hopkins, if you're talking like award-worthy, like critic darling kind of performances, I think that's the one that hits that mold a little bit better than Bobby's pick. I would heavily disagree with that, but that's fine. All right. Here's here's my thing with it. This isn't Mount Rushmore. I'm not going by what's the most iconic and what's the most influential, although that is important. We're going with who put up a good argument, who went with a performance that I do think deserves to be in a Hall of Fame. I'm going to try to picture the exhibit of that Hall of Fame. And honestly, it came down to Tristan or Joe's picks to eliminate first. And I think what is my deciding factor is we have seen... Mads Mikkelsen be a great Hannibal Lecter, and we have seen uh, Jackie Earl Haley, which was a, who's a great actor, fail at being a good Freddy Krueger. So I think at the end of the day, I'm going to eliminate Joe's pick for Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter because I think we've seen it improved upon, and we have yet to see that with Tristan's, even though they have tried. So that, I think, is my tiebreaker on that. And uh, so it's going to come down to Bobby versus Tristan. Joe will be my consulting judge on this like i said guys this is not mount rushmore i'm not picturing whose face deserves to be on it i'm going to a physical hall of fame which which um kind of monument in the hall of fame is going to really draw my attention more the hans landa exhibit or the freddy krueger exhibit that's what i want you to kind of focus on to to uh, sway me on this one so um bobby you start uh, I think personally, um, just the presence that Hans Landa as a character uh, brings to the screen um, in one single film is uh, worth worthy of a Hall of Fame moment instead of a character who you, a lot of people may not know who necessarily is under that that makeup and that mask and giving that performance. Um, like it might look cool in a Hall of Fame, but I think as a singular performance in a in one movie with a full arc, um, I think what you get scene to scene is different than you get from almost every single villain in any movie, because you don't necessarily know what he's going to do 
you have an intimidation level he's funny and intimidating like he can make you be so tense that you laugh when he makes a joke or trying to correct their their italian uh in the theater and all that and i think that freddy krueger is an iconic villain but it takes a it takes watching almost all of those movies to kind of get a grip of the performance and why it's so impressive versus one singular movie I mean, I'll argue that the first Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the most iconic, like, watchable horror movies of all time. So you don't need to watch the entire franchise. But he didn't develop his personality as much until later. And then I'll let you go. And I, I also think part of being a villain is like, you. Of course, he has multiple movies to develop his character across, like these multiple, multiple movies. And I think that's kind of impressive. Like the fact that we've seen Anthony Hopkins, for example, like come back throughout a couple of sequels, and he didn't really do a lot to enhance that character or to like add to that character. Whereas I think. Is a performance just impressive that Robert Englund was able to build that character and enhance that character and like add the, more and more personality as he went along. And I think you're talking about like an exhibit. I think it's much more interesting to have that he has like the effects on the face, like everything is like really built around that performance. And you could also lead into the fact that it's a lot of movies and like what you could. And when I look at an exhibit, you could have like oh every poster for every movie lined up on the wall, and you could have like oh here's Freddy Krueger's best scene from each of the movies and. Like, I'm imagining, like, big tribute to, like, this large-scale villain across a huge franchise. And my argument against Bobby's is that while it's a good performance, I would say that the best scene in the entire movie of Inglourious Batches is one that he's not even in. Like, the bar scene in that movie is super incredible and really tense and really scary, and he's not even part of that. So, you know, the opening's the, better, but that is a great and scene. In, and in the best scenes of Nightmare on Elm Street are all defined by his performance. They're all defined by Freddy Krueger. That movie completely and entirely bombs without Robert Englund giving a good performance. And if Christopher Waltz is just like fine in a glorious factor, the movie's still going to be good. It's still got a bunch of great actors around it. And I think the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise hangs in Robert Englund pulling that role off, and he pulls it off more than just pulls it off. He kills it. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> the pun is always intended. Yeah. All right, this is a very tough decision. Um, Joe, what do you think, if you were judging, what would you go with here? So my thought is, I think a lot of Freddy, like obviously they, I haven't seen the Jackie O'Haley uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but I think he's helped, I think, in like the terrifying and scariness by the look of the character, where I think if we're just judging based on the performance, I think everything from Hans Landa is the performance of Christoph Waltz. And I think... And I don't think Bobby should necessarily be hurt because the rest of his movie is great outside of Christoph Waltz where it's, you know, it's not his fault that Quentin Tarantino, one of the best writers and directors, made his movie where, you know, maybe some of the scenes outside of Freddy Krueger aren't great, but that shouldn't hurt Hans Landa. And I think... I think if we're just looking at performance, I think Hans Landa is all performance and where I think Freddy Krueger is potentially maybe helped by, you know, the costume and, and the look of the character. Hmm. So I would go Hans Landa. Ah, uh, this is hard. Um, what I think made my final decision, I was leaning one way and Joe said something that kind of helped me out a little bit. If we were talking about overall villain, I think Tristan did a really, really great job of talking about Robert England, the whole franchises. Uh, you know, it depends on him. But I think Bobby provided just a couple more examples of specific scenes and things that I would picture in the exhibit actually like playing. Um, and, and, you know, talking about the opening scene, how tense that is. Um, I think that 
if we were doing overall villain and you guys had the same arguments, I'd go with Tristan, but I think Bobby did a little bit better to argue for performance, um, which I didn't want to get lost in there, um, which Joe kind of reminded me back on it. So I, it's a very close one. I think all of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but I'm going to go slight edge towards Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa because, again, that is his best performance of his career so far. All right. But, Got one in. All right. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was, uh, I was leaving Tristan most of the way, but Joe kind of reminded me it's not all about villain, it's about performance, and it's not, you know, his fault that he's surrounded by great actors. I thought that was kind yeah. of a good point. So the consulting judge helped me on that one because um, I was thinking about the outfit and the character itself, but when I go by performance, it, it's hard to argue. Yeah, the villain performance later will be interesting. I know. Overall villain, you mean? Another, uh, yeah, overall villain, and also another one spider. later. Yeah, wouldn't it? So, yeah. All right, are you ready to spin yeah. the wheel here? I think we're good. Johnny's killing a spider. So yeah, spin he's... that wheel. Yeah, yeah, well, Johnny's out there killing spiders. Johnny's so just being Green Goblin. Here. Yeah, we might Got talk him. about him later. You never know. Dane DeHaan, you mean? <laughs> it's super small on my screen so i can't see oh, animated sorry, we, are... we have animated ah okay that's it's your so category that is, right uh my my category i don't even remember what i picked oh i do know yeah so animated villain i thought that would be a different ca- type of category to add to this list we're going around the horn i mean tristan's probably going to be judging the next category yeah so point. yep so tristan you're going to start us off give us your pick for animated and then we'll go to joe then johnny so for my animated villain, I thought it was this is probably the hardest category to pick of all of the categories, to be honest. There's some really, really good animated villains. But when I was thinking of Hall of Fame, I think of like iconography. I think of like colors and images and like quotable lines. And I also kind of, I know this is not the Mountain Rushmore, but I also still think of like, okay, what's the one that kind of like kicked it off a little bit and like started what we got today, you know? And my choice for that was the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. I think it's a really cool look. I think she has a really... Uh, like 1951 or something that came out like that was way before we got stuff like scar and, and people who were like these really big fun villain performances i think she really kind of set the standard for these animated disney villains of what they can be what they can accomplish and even now you still see queen of hearts walking around at disneyland and stuff like that and a lot of those old old disney era villains didn't really have that longevity of the performance and you still have off with their heads quote like a quotable mm-hmm. line from the animated uh villain I love the look of her. I love the color of her. I think it's just really interesting. And, and she also contradicts with the character, the hero a lot, which I think is important for an animated villain. Like they have to be sort of the foil of the hero. And where Alice is like this quiet, reserved, kind of soft-spoken little girl. She's just like this big, bombastic, loud, like self-centered noise. So I think my choice for that was uh, Queen of Hearts. And I also like, think it uses the uh, medium of animation in a way that like she couldn't really exist the way she does like I guess she could, but the whole look of her would be different, and like her guards, everybody around her would be different when you do it in live action. So that was my choice for the animated villain. All right, yeah, I think that's a great argument for a villain that um, I at least like. That quote is something that sticks in my head, and and you know, so that's definitely a good good pick. Uh, Joe, what do you got? All right, so I kind of had a similar thing. I wanted to go with the OG, like Tristan did. Uh, you know, no one really modern fully stuck out to me so i went with the evil queen from snow white i was just thinking like we, like we were talking the last round of like walking in the hall of fame and i think you know the like because she kind of has that two forms she has that main form and then like that old kind of 
haggish mm-hmm. like woman and i think placing that apple that poisoned apple in the ca- cabin is like such an iconic image and the idea of the poisoned apple and everything around that is so iconic that i couldn't not i couldn't not go with that pick so the evil queen is my pick all right mirror mirror on the wall johnny exactly. what do you got I went a little more recent than them, not super recent, but I went more modern than they did because I think if you're going to a Hall of Fame, um, you know, you got to have something that someone uh, our age would be excited to see. And I went with Sid from Toy Story, um, the original Toy Story. I, I think Sid is a great villain because you see in so many animated movies and superhero movies and basically a lot of Disney things in general um, of the villain is basically just like the same kind of person as the hero but they kind of flip it and Sid being the villain and he's just like this evil kid to these toys I think is a fun dynamic um and I love everything about his evil laugh his skull t-shirt it's very iconic he makes the you know freak toys and then at the end when all the toys come to life and scare him is super um iconic and memorable you don't need like this big villain death or this big fight scene you have something that's kind of um, stands on its own as something we haven't really seen in any other movies. Um, the Toy Story movies, even after that, went more towards, oh, this toy's bad than like, oh, it's like the kid next, the evil kid next door. And I really like that dynamic uh, between the toys and him because everyone knows that kind of sadistic kid that just broke all their toys and didn't treat them right and stuff. So I like that being like kind of the theme of like, hey, these toys are should be special to you and you should treat them right. And if you don't, there'll be consequences. I, I, I like that. Um, I think he's a super iconic villain and one that maybe isn't talked about as much as he should. If you look up like, you know, best animated villains, maybe he doesn't show up on that list, but I think he deserves a spot in the hall of fame for sure. Okay. So yeah, you guys did not make it easy. I love all of these villains. Um, I think they're really great picks. Uh, I don't have an initial thought. Like I have, I I kind of do, but I want to hear at least some of your thoughts on like, you know, who you should eliminate first. Um, and then kind of weigh that and go from there. So we'll start with Tristan and we'll go around. Uh, this is tough, but if I was going to eliminate one, just based on what we have here, I'd, I might, I'd probably go with Joe. I think we have two evil queen choices and I just think mine is a little bit more visually interesting, a little bit more of like an iconic set piece who like really define what a villain could be. And when I'm imagining like a, a museum section with the part of the hall is a villain, animated villain i would i would probably rather have it be the queen of hearts than just an evil queen and i think the queen of hearts has a bit of a more interesting color palette and a more interesting look so i'm just thinking of like the interior design of this hall of fame but i'm leaning towards the queen of hearts i think she just has a bit more of a cool look to her all right well strategically it might not be the best pick but my pick to eliminate would be johnny's mainly because i don't know if sid's a full-on villain because when he's torturing the i mean not like quote-unquote torturing the toys and disassembling the toys he doesn't realize that they're sentient beings and then if you look at you know toy story 3 when he finds out that toys are sentient beings he's reformed and he's he becomes actually, a garbage man yeah he becomes a garbage <laughs> yes, man and i guess reformed. according to, to you yeah. know according to like behind the scenes lore he actually like tries to save broken toys so I don't know. I think part of the reason he might not be on those villain lists is because he's not really a full-fledged villain because he doesn't know that toys are sentient and that he's hurting anything. He just thinks they're like inanimate objects. Okay. I think Joe helped my point. I think Joe talked about why mine is different than anything else. Um, you know, on this list, and and Joe and 
Tristan both picked like the evil queen type character. At least Tristan's has an, a name. Like the Queen of Spades is a cool name. Like the um, or whatever she is. Is she the Queen of Spades or the Queen of Hearts? Hearts. The Queen of Hearts. Yeah, Queen of Hearts. So mine was so um, OG. She didn't need a name because she was the first. But one. like my thing with going OG with it is we've seen it being surpassed so many times. You don't. This isn't Mount Rushmore. This is a Hall of Fame. No one cares about the evil queen from Snow White from the 30s. If you're going to even go see Disney villains, you'll see Tristan's Choice before Joe's. You'll see Ursula. You'll see Scar. You'll see uh, Maleficent, who is a much more iconic version of this of a very similar character. I think, yes, she was a stepping stone for some other ones, but I think that if you're going based on like what deserves its own exhibit and what's going to excite people, I don't think anyone cares about a character that couldn't even have a creative name, just get called the Evil Queen. Very boring. But at the end of it, too, if you if, to me, I feel the opposite way. If I go to like a Disney villain exhibit and they have you know Sid and the Queen of Hearts, and they don't have the Evil Queen with the poisoned apple and mirror, no mirror, one will care. I feel like people would be like, "You're missing one." Where if I go to an exhibit and they don't have Sid, I'd be like, well, he's not a true villain. If they don't have the Queen of Hearts, I'm, I'm, I don't care because I don't care about Alice in Wonderland. All right. So I, I think the arguments have helped me some. Um, and I'm going with what I was initially kind of thinking, which is uh, what Joe brought up is I don't think Sid is like a full-on villain when you really think of him. He's awesome. I love the character. But he's kind of a side part of the movie. He's like one section of the movie. Um, and then the rest of it, there's like a whole different, um, you know, it's more Woody and Buzz's um, coming together and splitting apart. And then it's them trying to get back with Andy rather than him being like a main villain of the movie. So if we're just going on animated villain of all time, I do think it's a little, it's more iconic uh, with a mirror mirror on the wall, the evil queen, and then also the off with her, off with her head, um, queen of hearts. So that's what I'm going with. Johnny, you can help me out and uh, decide between these two queens. All right. My thing is, if you, you like, Tristan brought up like famous quote of "off with their heads." I think far and away, mirror like mirror mirror on the wall is way more iconic. I think the look of her as in like her old hag form, putting the apple in the cabin, is a m way more iconic and memorable look. It may not be as flashy, but I think it's more memorable and iconic than you know the Queen of Hearts look. For me, I think the off with their head quotes is pretty quotable. I hear people quoting. They named like, a movie Mirror Mirror because they knew what people knew what it was. If they just named the movie. Big audience. Yeah, but still, <laughs> because they knew what people knew what it was. If they just named a movie off with their heads and it was a, supposedly like a Queen of Hearts origin, people wouldn't know what that was. I disagree. I, I honestly do feel like if they made like a off with their heads movie and it was a good prequel movie to Alice in Wonderland, people would know what it was. And I think. I really like the Queen of Hearts because of her look. She has a really unique look and a memorable kind of voice and a memorable uh, name. Like when I think of the Evil Queen, from I just can't even like think of her voice. I can't think of like what she, what her mannerisms were even like. Like I guess you're just like a generic kind of Evil Queen. <laughs> but I think the Queen of Hearts has a more defined personality, a more memorable personality. And I, yeah. among all the crazy, cool-looking stuff in Alice in Wonderland, she's one of the cool ones. Yeah, just, Bobby, you have a decision. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, yeah, I'm, I think I do, but I do want to hear from you first. I might be against everyone else on this choice, though, but go for it. I, I think the thing with this is we've seen Joe's character done better more, more often as far as just the evil queen that wants to kill the princess, and we've also seen 
um, kind of the evil witch. I think we've seen that in Disney movies. We've seen that in a thousand other things, and there's way more memorable ones. Yes, Joe's was the original, but um, we've gotten more iconic characters like that. There's a reason in the first Kingdom Hearts game that you don't go to the Snow White world. You go to the Alice in Wonderland world because it's just a character that is more iconic. It looks more exciting. It's flashier. It's something that if you go to a physical Hall of Fame and look at the exhibit, I think it's something that would excite you. You could see all her little minions running around. And outside mm-hmm. of the apple, there's nothing very memorable about Joe's character um, in terms of what I think. I've seen Alice in Wonderland maybe once, and I've seen Snow White multiple times, and I can picture Tristan's character real in my head uh, way quicker than I could do any of the forms of Joe's character. Yeah, and so I think you definitely did help. I'm I'm a lot closer than uh than than you on it for sure because i can really pit picture the evil queen and the mirror mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all like i can really picture that scene and her voice and the look of the old hag and all that but i think yeah i think visually i think you're right because alice in wonderland i think i was putting it down in my head because i that's not one of my favorite disney movies i have not seen it as often but the queen of hearts is like one of the best parts of the movie for sure. Um, and a lot more, like you said, visually kind of interesting. I can picture the minions. I can, I have a, I have a more clear role in my head of what she's doing in that world than the evil queen. Um, so I think I'm going to go with Tristan's pick with the queen of hearts. Um, and she's making it into the hall of fame. All right. Lame hall of fame. <laughs> I think yeah, Joe I mean, went with just a lot of like, Mount Rushmore type of picks. I'll be honest, I had no picks from the 21st century, I'll tell you that. Yeah, see? This was supposed to kind of widen our horizons, you know? Yeah. We're just sticking with iconic. Who did we go with for performances? I forgot I I I was supposed Uh, to write these down. Hans Hans Landa. So, uh, yeah, Christoph Waltz. All right. And then this is our third one, yeah. So, uh, okay. Let's see, we got five left technically because we're saving the villain for the end. So yeah. what we've got left so far is layers and bases, sidekicks, death scene, and costume. Ooh, we squeeze our way into sidekicks, so we're going with villain sidekicks. <laughs> All right, and that is my category, and it's kind of nice that we're doing this today because basically the original... Uh, movie superhero sidekick, uh, oh, you know the actor that played Otis in the original Superman, Ned Beatty, died either today or yesterday. Yesterday. So, yesterday. So it's kind of nice that we're doing this. Uh, don't think anyone picked him, but apparently no one wants to go to Otisburg. So Johnny, you're up. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, like I said, you know, I'm I'm gonna be fighting an uphill battle with some of mine because I'm with personal favorites rather than. Mount Rushmore type of picks. I want to go kind of outside the box. I felt like that was something that this episode really lended itself to well. So I'm going with the great Herve Valachez as Knickknack from The Man with the Golden Gun, Scaramanga's uh, Little Person Minion and Sidekick. And the reason I do is because this could so easily, especially if you know the culture of the James Bond movies, been something that was just there to be made fun of. But because Herve Valachez is such a respected actor and he's so great, in this role, he is like a legitimately 
like fun character, kind of intimidating in some areas. I love his character motivation. That's way different than most of the villain sidekicks we've seen. I don't like the sidekicks that are just out there to, you know, live or die. I'm going to help my boss. That kind of says more henchmen to me. Knickknack is kind of a sidekick because he helps bring everyone to Scaramanga's Island. He helps, he tries to get Scaramanga killed because if Scaramanga dies, he gets the whole island. He gets all the riches of his master, but he's still very loyal to him. He doesn't ever back, you know, uh, like backtrack on that promise. He really wants to fulfill his master's like kind of funny games. And I think that's very exciting. And um, yeah, there's not really any like little person humor. They don't make fun of him for that in a movie, in a movie that's full of a lot of bad stuff that doesn't hold up. Herbert Gal just stands out as the greatest movie sidekick in my opinion, because he, I think that's such an important thing with Bond movies, and I think that he is the greatest uh, sidekick of any of the Bond villains. And he's so fun. Hey, knick knack, Tabasco. Hey, the first line of the movie, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobby, what is your pick for villain sidekick? All right, so Johnny and I were on similar but opposite pages on this one. Uh, because I am also in the Bond franchise, and I am going with Richard Keel as Jaws uh, in The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, he also is in Moonraker, but he's more of the villain sidekick in The Spy Who Loved Me. I think Nick Knack is a fun character, um, and I do consider a henchman. like He's a sidekick of a villain. Like That's, that's another word for it, for sure. Um, and Jaws has stayed with pop culture as a like historic bond henchman bond sidekick villain because uh he's the big intimidating guy he's got the metal teeth he showed up in multiple movies he showed up in the golden eye video game which everyone loved and played all the time as a as a playable character and he's the big tall guy that no one really wants to use because he can get shot super easily but he's the big giant um and yeah he's a really intimidating guy he's got the for a for a villain sidekick he has the look that makes him stand out he's got the interesting metal metal teeth um you actually fear for bond's life when he is in altercations with him uh so he's an intimidating feature not not as much of a like knickknack is like a fun little character and i feel like jaws is a more more of a threat and i think more iconic in bond personally um because odd job as far as um i know he is not a small uh person but he became, man. yeah, so he became that for some reason in Goldeneye. Because, yeah, but but he became that in Goldeneye, and I think people think of even Odd Job more than they do Nick Neck. Jaws and Odd Job are the two most iconic um, villain sidekicks in the Bond franchise. So I think I picked one of those two. All right, and uh, Tristan, I think I remember what you said your picks would be, but yeah, look, I've seen practically none of the Bond movies. I've seen like a couple, you know, a handful. So I did not go with the Bond movie on my pick. I went with and some animated sidekicks, actually, and I went with Shenzi, Banzai, and Ed, the hyenas from The Lion King. I think they kind of embody what I think of as a villain sidekick, like they're the henchmen that the villain always kind of puts down and doesn't take seriously, and then uh, they're like the ones doing all of his bidding. But, of course, by the end of the movie, like they've, they've seen the truth of who Scar is. They've seen how little he regards them, and they turn against him, and they're the ones who take the villain down themselves. Like Simba fights him and defeats him, but the hyenas are the ones that really take Scar out. And I think that's a cool arc for a villain sidekicks. Like they're on his side. They're always put down. They're always told they're nothing, and they're told to do what, what he tells them to do. And then they come around by the end, and they kill him. I also think it's interesting because there's three different 
sidekicks and a lot of stuff where there's like multiple sidekicks i feel like it's easy to just have them be like the same kind of bumbling idiot type characters where it's like you might as well just have one character but i think all three of these hyenas have like very different personalities and different performances that come out of them and i think they're really memorable characters i think they give good performances in them and i love that their arc when they turn against scar by the end so those are my picks for uh villain sidekicks all right, and uh, I guess it's time to eliminate one now. So, does anyone have any one that they feel should be eliminated? My, I mean, my, yeah. My argument towards mine, while theirs are arguably more iconic characters, definitely Tristan's. I think the Joe, my the argument that kind of got me eliminated from the Sid fight was, while Sid turns good by the end, you know, and maybe he's not as much of a villain. I think a loyal sidekick, I'm the only one who picked the loyal sidekick. Tristan's turned on Scar, like he said, they're the reasons he died. And Bobby, Jaws is not a sidekick of anybody. He is just a henchman for hire by multiple villains in the Bond universe. You don't think of Jaws and think of the lead character. I think of the hyenas and I think of them paired with Scar. I think of Knickknack with Scar manga. Jaws outshines the villain in um, the, uh, the Spy Who Loved Me, played by the uh, the great Kurd Jurgens, which is a great name. But um but Stromberg and that is just kind of like hiring a guy to kill Bond. And then you also see him show up in Moonraker and Hugo Drax just hires Jaws in that movie. And in the end of Moonraker, Jaws turns and is a good guy. So uh, neither of you picked like loyal sidekicks. And I think like Joe bringing up Otis, like I think it's important when you have a villain. Nick has all the reason in the world to turn on his master Scarmanga, but he's loyal till the end. Um, and I think that makes for an iconic side uh, sidekick. I think his motivations go into it, and I think with the yeah. same logic mine was ruled out for Sid, I think Knickknack is a loyal sidekick. I would argue Bobby's is not a sidekick, and I think Tristan's are definitely sidekicks, but then they turn on him in the end. So I, I would say personally, yeah. Bobby's would be eliminated, even though Jaws is definitely more a kind of character in Bond, he's not a sidekick to anybody. And I think it, I, I think it kind of depends on your definition of what a true sidekick is, because Jaws is never the main villain of anything he works for and is in and is has people that are telling him what to do. So he is their henchman or their sidekick, whatever you want to call them. And he is more iconic to me um, in the Bond franchise, like you said. Uh, so really, I think it comes down to if you because I think that the hyenas like I, I think you can classify all of these as sidekicks. It just depends on what your definition of it is. But to me, Jaws works for someone is under their command. Um, does and does what they say, and he outshines them, outshines the main villain of those movies every time he's in it because he's such a good character. So that's why uh, I would go with Jaws, and I would eliminate Johnny's just because it's a similar vein, and I think the Hayes are definitely a good sidekick. Uh, so if you're you're, you're going to eliminate one of the two Bond um, yeah. uh, sidekicks. Tristan, do you have any yeah. thoughts? I haven't seen any of these movies. <laughs> But I do know exactly what Jaws looks like. I haven't seen the movie he's in, but I've yeah. seen him, and I, I know the look of him, so I, I think that has the iconography. But I also do like Johnny's argument a lot of, like, his sidekick is a is like a legit sidekick. He's in one movie, and he stands by his villain's side until the end. And the fact that Jaws comes back in a couple different sequels, and I don't know, that, that might take it down a notch. But like I said, I haven't seen any of the movies that either of these characters are in, so I, I can't argue too much against them but if you're purely going on iconography i think jaws has the iconography but if you're going on like a very very traditional idea of what a sidekick is i think johnny has that for sure it comes down to that yeah so basically my thing is like bobby says i kind of got to eliminate one of the bond sidekicks and my thing is when i think of a sidekick i think of someone who 
you know, kind of has like a quote unquote like master or someone that they, you know, work for or serve. And I, I feel like I do feel like there's a difference between like a sidekick and like a villain for hire. And, you know, the vibe I'm getting from Jaws is he's more of like a villain for hire. So that is why I would. Well, maybe he yeah. works. Maybe he's hired by someone in, you know, the movie that Bobby picked. I feel like he's less of a sidekick and more of a villain for hire. So that's why I'm eliminating yeah. Jaws. That's, That's fair. the only That's reason fair. I did not pick Jaws. That's, That's why fair. I knew that argument because I eliminated in my head. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 like I thought of it. I, 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 I almost picked Odd Job instead of Jaws because of that, but I loved Jaws, so I had to argue it. So no, I completely understand the ruling. So I'm, I'm all good so for this argument. We're now between uh, the hyenas and Tattoo from Fantasy Island. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. You know, Valdez is great, played by the great uh, Peter Dinklage in a biopic on I think. HBO or Showtime or something from a few yeah. years ago. Um, I mean, this is an uphill battle for me. You haven't, you're not as familiar with the character. Tristan's is definitely they're more iconic. Uh, but I think if you're looking at it, you know, we already have an exhibit for a Disney character that Tristan picked. I think, I think outside of the box and going with a franchise that's known for great sidekicks and henchmen and picking the the most loyal sidekick. There's something to that, and I think Herve Valchez deserves some. Uh, some respect here and an exhibit of his own to keep his memory on. There's plenty that will keep the Lion King uh, going. And I don't think it is necessary to even put that in there. And that's my really only argument I can make because while I do think there's, I do think it's important that sidekicks stay loyal to home movie and mine does. And Tristan's turn on Scar as soon as they see, you know, a reason to do it. That'd be my only argument um, against them actually being sidekicks, but they're definitely more iconic than mine. I have to, Alter to that, but I think mine is a more loyal villain sidekick. All right, Tristan, you got to defend your defend your picks here. I will give Johnny a, a a prop here and say that I do think Bond is known for its sidekicks, so I wouldn't be opposed to putting a Bond sidekick in there. But I think if you're making like a Hall of Fame, I think it's very interesting to have diversity. Like we're gonna have a couple of animated. We have I don't want it to just be like we have the one animated person to cover all of the Disney things. So I think. Maybe throwing in another animated sidekick could be interesting. And I, I also really like the casting of my characters. You know, you had three kind of big name performers with Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech of Future Chong. And then you also had Jim Cummings, who is kind of breaking his, his what he's known for, you know, being Winnie the Pooh and playing a, a villain character. So I think that's pretty fun. And when I think of sidekicks, especially in Disney movies, they like to do that, they like to throw in like fairly well-known actors who play like this supporting role in a Disney movie. And I think that kind of embodies that for Disney. So I think they have memorable lines, they have memorable scenes, they have arc throughout the movie where they, they are on Scar's side, they're very loyal to Scar, and by the end of it, they've seen the error of their ways and they've kind of turned a little bit. So I think that's a, a decent, when you have sidekicks, they're often just like the, the person on the side, you know, they're the person who's just there to support the villain and they're to be loyal and that's pretty much it. And the fact that my characters have arcs is what makes me kind of, what what drew me to them in the first place of picking them for this, for this uh, category. Yeah. All right. Well, I've made my mind, and I've decided uh, both of them deserve to be, and well, I guess technically four, but both of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But if I'm going for what I want out of my villain sidekick and what deserves to be standing in the Hall of Fame, I feel like based on what has been presented to me today, I am going with Knickknack. From- yes! Awesome. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I was gonna fight. I was gonna yeah. fight for that too. So I guess we're all in agreement what, on that. What was the most loyal sidekick? Yeah, <laughs> it really yeah. was. When I got to the argument, I was like, I was debating: should I just put my hands up and be like, argue in favor of Johnny? Because I think 
you got to have a bond representation for sidekicks. And the, I would have gone for bond if I knew anything about bond. Like I was looking at a list and I was like, should I pick this character? And I was like, why well, I haven't seen the movie. So no, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, good choice here, Joe. Yeah. Uh, what movie Very was he excited. from? The man with the golden, man with the golden gun. gun. Okay. Yeah. Nick neck was a great choice. I just liked jaws better. And I thought I could fight for him being a sidekick. So that's yeah, a good one. Go. I like the, Nick-Nack. um, I love Nick Hank. He's like my favorite. He's awesome. Character. And, oh, he's and somehow you put Christopher Lee, the man who inspired James Bond, as the villain in that movie, and he's outshined by Nick Hank. I, I, I tend to forget that Christopher Lee is even in that movie. Right? <laughs> but I you always remember and... Nick Hank. Yeah. I was like, who is the main villain of the movie? And I was like, oh, he's Christopher Lee? What the hell? <laughs> yeah, right? Because yep. well, Ian Fleming, friends with him, based the entire character on him, so it was awesome to see him in it. But I'm like, yeah, you watch that movie, the best part of that movie is Nick Hack. No, he's he's great. Good choice. I love his motivation. Great little helper. Yep. Sidekick. And right, in the so end, he's uh, yeah. master to die. Yeah. All right, so what what's our next? Let's yeah, set the wheel up and get our next category we, we got. got. Four left. I like that there's a big black void that just says death. <laughs> <laughs> That was the right one to do. Costume. All right. That is Bobby. That is mine again. So, um, Tristan, you're going to start us off with villain costume. Uh, One thing I want to say, we do have some live comments. I should probably read those. Uh, So, uh, Spinner58 said her her pick was Jaws. Uh, We got a Paul sighting. Paul said that he also thinks Jaws is the best. And then my mom thinks it really should have been ned Beatty. i'm, I'm not otis <laughs> is bad I, i'm not giving otis otis was entertaining but he's not a good character he's no, like I he was even in those movie. movies i don't think of yeah. otis when i thought of ned Beatty dying i was like man deliverance like that was one yeah of his, that was like his first big movie I think. toy story and three great. come on right right lotso yeah, the great ned Beatty. lotso the hugging bear lotso for yep. your movie villain maybe you will you know we got all we have villain yeah yeah <laughs> Somehow I doubt that. I chose yeah. him over Sid, well, even though I somehow, chose Somehow, you have, animated. Tristan, you have the choices, not somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you should know. Maybe I'll change on the that fly. That is true. I yeah. think I'll have the answers already. But, all right, for my costume, I went with one where it's a small role for the villain, but I think, I arguably, I would say there's no character in the entirety of, like, movies where their costume had a bigger impact. Like, to have a single character's costume be so significant. But my, my choice was from The Empire Strikes Back, Boba Fett. I think he's a supporting villain role, but I think his costume is so iconic that like people became fans of Boba Fett, even despite having a couple of scenes. And like he's sold how many thousands of Boba Fett toys. The fact that he's inspired like a TV show, he's inspired appearances in other TV shows, he's inspired you know animated appearances. All of that spawned entirely from a cool costume in a movie and i think when you're talking about a villain costume you want to think about like that like that iconography that big memorable kind of look and the fact that all the kids who watch empire strikes back wanted to you know be boba fett for halloween they wanted to grab all the boba fett action figures and i think a villain costume has that cultural impact and no villain costume has impacted culture any in any level comparatively to boba fett all right i like that for sure it definitely was an iconic costume joe what do you got all right, mine is a costume of a character we've talked about earlier, and I'm going to go with Freddy Krueger. The hat's iconic, the sweater's iconic, the claw's iconic. If you want to include his burnt 
skin as part of his costume, that's iconic. Any part of that individually is immediately recognized as part of Freddy Krueger. So that was my choice for uh, costume. Simple enough. And I think that's all that needed. Johnny, what do you got? So again, I'm going to be fighting. I mean, Bobby knows this franchise better, but I think mine might be something that's kind of forgotten about when you think of iconic villains, especially compared to the two that were said, but I'm sticking with the Bond franchise and I'm going with the tan gray uh, Mao suit of Ernst Stavro Blofeld. I think it's super iconic because you've seen multiple actors play the role. You never saw his face for the first three or four movies of the franchise until you only lived twice. And then he has the Donald Pleasance, the scar, the, you know, the, the outfit is something that was obviously parodied with Dr. Evil. Uh, but it's something that's very famous. And I think it kind of doesn't get enough credit for what it deserves because it's, it's a great look. It's a reason that he's always been in that. It's a reason that even when Max, Max von Sydow played the character in never seen ever again, no one remembers that because he was just wearing any old tuxedo um, and no one even remembers that Max von Sydow played the same role. But I think it's something that even in the first movies, when you don't see his face and you see just the suit and you see him stroking his cat. And then when he has the, um, you know, they finally show him and he's got that, horrifying scar on his face is so memorable in you only live twice and i think all about the character is something that even if you've never seen the franchise you can pretty much picture donald pleasance in the role as soon as you hear the name blofeld and i think that um you know with something that is such you know a simple but elegant look it's something that literally was taken off like the communist leader of china and now is only known as the blofeld suit more than the mouse suit so i think that's a cool little twist on uh, his character and it fits for him. And I think it's something that people kind of forget about, but it is great. Okay. So I think instead of going around with the arguments, I think I actually do have my pick to eliminate. Um, do any of you have a uh, rebuttal? Like, do you think that you should say at least one more thing about yours or about someone else's really quick, or can I just make my pick? I mean, I, I don't know what we're going to have to say if you've already locked in your pick, basically. Yeah. It's like... my, my only thing to say is that I think um, the Freddy Krueger outfit is iconic, but I think that is, like Tristan talked about with performance, I think that kind of all goes into performance and is iconic because of how great Robert Englund was. There's nothing iconic about that look, you know, when put on someone else. And I think the look of Blofeld is iconic, whether it's Charles Gray or Telly Savalas or Donna Pleasance, you you know, that suit, or even Dr. Evil, you know, parodying it. To defend against that, I will say, if you see someone out in, you know, public with, you know, like the horizontal striped sweater, you're going to be like, that's a Freddy Krueger sweater, the claws, iconic. Yeah, Yeah. I think I've made my decision. Um, I think that, look, I love the Bond franchise, and I do love Blofeld as a character, but that, that costume... The costume itself is not iconic. I think the scar, the scar is iconic. And that character has shown up multiple times without that costume um, and even without the scar. Uh, So it's not necessarily even his costume um, because obviously we have um, Christoph Waltz playing him in Spectre and that he doesn't have... Um, right yeah but yeah but no i i I think look i love blofeld i just don't think it's quite as iconic i actually think dr evil is more iconic than blofeld at this point look wise um so i am going to go with uh eliminating johnny and having joe and tristan fight it out and i i like both their picks a lot so 
Uh, That's fair. I did not want to have to fight against those two for this because I completely <laughs> understand. I had Bond on the mind, and I, I think I just wanted to give another shout out to one of my yeah. favorite understated outfits. And no, I, I love it, Johnny, but I have to I have to be fair about it. So, all right, let's go. Uh, you two. So we'll start with because Tristan started last time, and we'll just go with Joe, uh, and then go down to Tristan. Uh, so I'm starting. Yeah. So my thing with you know the Boba Fett look. As I feel like almost if you look at Star Wars as a whole, while, you know, if we've, we've talked about before eliminating, you know, it's not necessarily the Mount Rushmore, it's the best. I would almost say at this point, the Mandalorian is more iconic and more well-known and a far more popular character. As far as Freddy Krueger, they've, you know, tried to replicate the look with, uh, uh, in the, whatever the fuck that guy's name was. Uh, James Earl Haley. Yeah, Yeah, James Earl Haley. I don't think that's. Right. Jackie O'Reilly. There we go. Jackie O'Reilly. Jackie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think they tried to replicate it with Jackie O'Reilly. I feel like as far as Boba Fett, you could say maybe the helmet's iconic, maybe the jetpack's iconic, but everything had to tell about Freddy Krueger is iconic from, you know, his burnt skin, his claw, his hat, his sweater. Everything about him is the visual look is iconic, where if you took the hat off of Freddy Krueger, you still recognize it as Freddy Krueger. You take the helmet off Boba Fett. Granted, technically, it's still if you had Tamara Morrison underneath, but you take the hat away. I don't know how many like non-Star Wars fans are like, oh, that's Boba Fett. I'll say that I don't think uh, if you take any piece off of the the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Freddy Krueger's costume, like it could just be a random striped sweater. Like you, if you're at a Halloween party and you see somebody walk in in like a red striped sweater, and then you see somebody walk in in a Boba Fett armor, like, everyone's going to recognize the Boba Fett armor, and it's going to take some people a second to realize, like, oh, that's striped sweater, is that, like, from a thing? Or it, what is it? And you talk about the Mandalorian, and I think, like, that costume only exists because of Boba Fett's costume. Like, the whole idea of a Mandalorian, what it is, what the culture is, that whole history that's become, like, prominent lore in Star Wars only exists because of Boba Fett. And I think Boba Fett stands out among, like, dozens of cool characters in Star Wars. There's, like, that especially in Empire Strikes Back, like in one scene, there's like 10 cool bounty hunters, but then Boba Fett's the one that everybody wanted to be and everybody wanted to hit, get the toy of and get the costume of. And you can go to like Hot Topic and buy a shirt of the Boba Fett armor. Like you don't need the helmet. Just like the green and uh, brown kind of look is very much a Boba Fett-like aesthetic. And when you buy Star Wars stuff, like they'll sell it with like a green and brown kind of color palette just because it's a Boba Fett, you know, toy. I think if you're talking about cultural impact, like Freddy Krueger is a culturally impactful, impactful character and performance, but I don't think the, the well, costume Boba necessarily... Boba Fett also had the help of being yeah. in one of the great, like, most popular film franchises of all time. If you want to include Freddy Krueger, you know, he was... I mean, you there's, like, Jason in that crossover, but he wasn't in this massive, you know, other world, essentially. It was just him yeah. leading his movie, so it's not necessarily a fair of a fight, but if you want to compare him to other 80s slashers... It's basically him and Jason are number two, and he's like stands out as the lead in his genre of right. that iconic look. Um, I think I know basically. I, I think I know where I'm going. Johnny, do you have any quick thoughts? Yeah, I, I think um, on this one, I think maybe Tristan was uh, maybe three steps ahead of the game somehow on this uh, because he fought so hard for Robert uh, England's performance. I think there's way more that goes into what makes Freddy Krueger's costume memorable than just the costume. I think the performance has a lot to do with it. And I think literally Boba Fett became this famous character solely based on his costume. He has nothing to do 
in the movies you really see him in, and he became a fan favorite solely based on how he looked. And I think if you're going by costume, you got to go by, you know, visually only. And I think Freddy Krueger is iconic now because there's so many movies and because Robert Englund was great. But I think Boba Fett, right off the bat, people wanted to know more about that character solely based on the costume. If yep. Freddy Krueger was just standing in a line of people yep. with that outfit, no one would care. Yeah, and I, I do agree. I, I think that Freddy Krueger's outfit is fantastic. I think they're all really good picks. But uh, Boba Fett, he had, what, two lines at most in Empire Strikes Back? And he became this iconic character that everyone wanted the toy of, that they created the entire Mandalorian backstory because of his armor being so popular. Uh, so I think he is the embodiment of a costume being in, like a cultural phenomenon. So I'm going to go with Boba Fett and put him in the Hall of Fame. He's no good to me dead. Yep, exactly. There you go. No disintegrations. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted to pivot last minute, and I couldn't think of anything, because I'm like, there's no fucking way that mine beats either of these two. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could have went with Jason, but he didn't have, uh, you know. He didn't if you did, I would have been, yeah, like, what, uh, Johnny? <laughs> yeah. The hockey mask in the first like couple movies and stuff, so. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Right, cool. you know, I'll accept that loss. You've got two categories left: one layers and bases, and one the empty black void of death. So let's see where we're landing here. <laughs> I like that it's avoided death so far. Me too. Um, just for us, our Keep sake. Going. No, no. Oh. oh man. Okay, and death is uh, no longer on the table. Yeah, yeah. That's our. This choice. is going to be an interesting one. Oh, uh, Joe, oh, Joe got the Joe here. is, uh, yeah. Start the show. Hell yeah. All right, so I am the, I am the one uh, who chose the big black void of death as a category. And we have three pretty different picks. So I'm interested, um, especially with Bobby starting off the yeah. category. Bobby, what did you pick for the most uh, Hall of Fame worthy villain death of all time? So I know mine is going to be different, but honestly... I, it's one of the deaths that, as a kid, seeing it stood out and was in my mind more than any other villain death in any movie that I've ever seen. And that is Clayton's death in Tarzan, where he is essentially hung, um, which is very dark for a Disney animated movie. Um, so to see a character who is this villainous character but killed in such a brutal way as a kid, I think it stands out and is one of the most iconic deaths of all time, and is an animated death, definitely the most iconic. Um, so I just wanted to bring it up and be like, okay, as a kid seeing, especially, you know, it, it's a kid seeing it now, where most animated things are so tame, um, watching that death will scar you, because you have a, a character essentially fall, you he falls off of the, you know, the trees in the jungle, but you see him be hung and snap his neck in a Disney movie. So to me, that stood out. It's something that I picture all the time. Um, so it may be a personal pick, but I think it's worth bringing up. Um, and I think it would deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. That'd be a dark exhibit. <laughs> all right, Tristan. This what, exhibit of death. a shadow of a man hanging. Um, Tristan, what do, what do you got for us? I don't think there's a single death shot more iconic and memorable than... Hans falling off the building in Die Hard. So that's my pick. Hans falling off the building in Die Hard. I think you talk about movie deaths. I feel like that's the one I always go to. It's like the fear in his face. Joe posted a nice viral TikTok of it a, a while ago of the fact that 
Uh, he didn't know what was happening to him when he shot this scene. So you get that kind of real performance out of this death scene. And I think a hugely iconic moment, something that's much, that's like parodied all the time. That's always in every list of like iconic movie deaths. And I think just hugely impactful, cool scene. Not much else to argue about it, but you think of movie deaths and I think of Hans falling off the building. All right. If you want to talk iconic movie deaths, we're going way back. You know, someone who said an iconic line as they were dying, and that's the the death of the Wicked Witch of the West in uh, The Wizard of Oz. As she screams, I'm melting, I'm melting, after uh, Dorothy puts the water on her. And so that is my pick, the Wicked Witch of the West death in The Wizard of Oz. Wow. Well, you know, shout out to Sean Bean. Really was hoping he would be represented. <laughs> so many. We go back to the Bond, you know, yeah. uh, franchise. Alex. He has a great death as Alec Trevelyan, falling about a thousand feet, then surviving and having every bone in his body like broken, and then a giant satellite falling on him and impaling him is yeah. probably the, uh, you know, the cherry on top there. Um, all right, this is going to be Boromir also, an interesting so. fight. Um, we'll do this quickly, because I have an idea of what I, I think should be eliminated first, but Bobby, just real quick, if you were to eliminate one, what would you go with? Um, honestly, I think I would eliminate the Wicked Witch um, because I, I think that, look, Hans Gruber, like that death, it definitely is, like you picture him falling a lot more. The Wicked Witch, you you almost kind of forget she dies because she just kind of melts into a puddle um, and like disappears um, because it's, you know, these mine and Tristan's are more of a, they're dead. Like they are straight up dead and this is an iconic death. Uh, so that's where I would go. Tristan, do you agree? Uh, the reason I would go with Bobby is because I think it is a good death, but I do think there's a, a, there's a lot of good animated death scenes. Like I do want to give him props for like, that was a dark turn for Disney. And especially now Disney's like such a risk averse, like boring company that does nothing interesting. And the fact that they hung their, their villain like that is so brutally i think is worth mentioning if you were doing like disney deaths or even animated deaths that might be in the conversation but i think me and joe just picked much yeah. more impactful much more visually yeah. engaging deaths so i would probably cut bobby's here yeah if i were to go like, like joe agrees i was gonna say yeah. iconic silhouette death i would almost go scar with him backed in the corner the hyenas turning on him and the silhouette of the hyenas jumping on scars mm. like a more iconic memorable death than Clayton hanging, which would I be was, my number two pick for that. Say, but, but I was going to say, Bobby in his argument said, you know, this will scar you, and it just made me think of the scar, um, you know, silhouette death, uh, which I do think is more iconic. Even if you go just Disney movies, even though Bobby and I, that is a movie close to our hearts, having seen it, you know, in theaters when we were young and watching it all the time. Um, Clayton's death, I don't think, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame in terms of every movie in the history of movies. Um, deaths, the uh, more iconic ones are definitely between Tristan yeah. and Joe. So Bobby will be consulting I, with me, and I will probably need it. For yeah, these I, I 100% agree with that, and I just wanted to bring that up because I love that death as a Disney movie, and it stuck with me. Yeah. So it's something I wanted to bring up for sure. As someone who fought hard for blowfeld suit you know a personal personal preference is definitely a part of this i respect that as a choice yep so we'll start real quick with tristan why is yours more worthy of the hall of fame than joe i think you talk about like a single shot that sticks throughout through time like you talk about hall of fame you had like this giant frame image of the death shot like him falling off that shock face on his 
on the actor's face. Uh, Alan Rickman is, is just so iconic, and I just the falling, everything is, and even like in sequels, they like try to bring back like his brother or whatever it was. Like that's a iconic moment, and you spend the whole movie building up to like he wants to defeat this one guy. And in The Wizard of Oz, there's like a lot of motivations. Like she wants to get home, and defeating the witch is like a secondary motivation, I guess. And throughout Die Hard, like the whole goal is we got to take down this terrorist and we really root for John McClane to take this guy down. And then when you finally get that shot at the end of him falling, it's like a cheer out in the crowd kind of moment. Like when I saw, I did see Die Hard in the theater a few years ago and it was like everybody in the crowd was clapping for that one shot of him falling. And I think the Wicked Witch death scene is quotable, but I, I can't like imagine the exact shot in my head of her death. I can't imagine like the entire circumstances around it and everything that was happening. But I think if you're talking a moment that you can remember, a moment that stands out, mine just really stands out among, among a movie with tons of great moments and lines like this one silent moment of him falling is something that always sticks with me all right so my thing is everyone you know you, you talk about iconic all you want but i don't know if there's anything more iconic of our three moments than the wicked witch of the west screaming i'm melting i'm melting after you know getting the water and you guys may not be able to remember the shot but it's you know a famous the shot. accidentally throws water on her. Yeah, <laughs> he throws water on her. She melts. This, you know, the smoke comes up. I feel like it's super iconic. I don't know how, unless you're. I feel like everyone that's ever seen a movie knows the Wicked Witch of the West dying. You know, you talk about oh, they brought his brothers back, Simon Gruber in Die Hard with a Vengeance. There've been like plays and movies, all this on the witch's backstory. So. I feel like the witch is just as iconic, if not even more iconic, than Hans Gruber. Uh, as much as I love that character, I would I would respond to that really quick and just say the witch is iconic for like a ton of moments throughout the movie, a lot of lines, a lot of cool scenes. But I think Hans Gruber is iconic because of his death. Like that death scene is what really stands out for his scenes. I, I think he has just as much iconic moments throughout the movie as the witch does. I don't know if it's necessarily just his death that makes him iconic. I think I have a decision, but Bobby, I want to hear, if you were judging, what would you pick between these two? If I was judging, even though, so in my argument against Joe's, it was just because it was the first one that came to mind of something to argue against. Honestly, I think that the Wicked Witch melting is one of the most iconic movie moments of all time and quotes of all time. So to me, that takes the cake. I think that Hans Gruber's death is great. But I think as an all-time classic movie moment, it's the Wicked Witch, I'm melting, I'm melting, um, which inspired a lot of, uh, you know, the Wicked Witch being a character in multiple other things and recreating that kind of death scene. Um, we've seen we've seen villains fall to their deaths a million times before and after Hans Gruber, so I think that the melting scene stands out to me. Hmm. It's tough because I love both of these movies. And I know Joe also loves both of these movies. He thinks Die Hard's greatest action movie ever made. So I know that might be breaking his heart a little bit. Fight it's in my top it. five of all time. So Yeah, but Bobby said it. We've seen a million people falling to their deaths. And you know what? I immediately think of Hans Gruber when I think of that. <laughs> Fuck you, uh, <laughs> Wicked Witch. I'm going with Hans Gruber because That's fair. melting from water is stupid and asks <laughs> way more questions than it answers. There is a 0% chance... No water has contacted her skin up until that moment, and that moment makes me very angry. So I'm going with Tristan's Hans Gruber pick because when someone falls off a tower, I know they're dead. I don't know how the witch has avoided water her whole life. So Tristan, your death is better. 
Okay. Surprise! Yeah, I was thinking that I like both of those, so that's fine. But <laughs> I am not surprised by Johnny's choice, just based on him being thrown out of moments based on weird things. All right, so we have <laughs> yeah, some. That throws me out a lot. <laughs> yeah, we have some. Uh, no way she's never gotten wet before. <laughs> um, we have... <laughs> for, for multiple reasons. <laughs> Unless she hangs out with Batman. Yeah. Oh um, no! I mean, I yeah, recent recent news. Yeah, well, we will say this. You know, it might not be heroic for Batman to go down, but every villain we've talked about definitely eats pussy. <laughs> Hans Goober so definitely went down. Yeah, he goes down for sure. He went down hard. hard. All right. Uh, we do have some live comments. Uh, Spinner58, before Tristan even said his picks, that Alan Rickman and Die Hard. Paul said Wicked Witch is so iconic. Uh, and then Spinner58 said, as much as I like the look on Rickman's face and look forward to seeing it every Christmas, the Wicked Witch is more memorable. And then she said, the water on her was accidental. They were trying to put out the fire on the scarecrow, which. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say that Die Hard pick was my first pick, and I and I sent it yep. before Tristan sent his. But then when, but then I was like, you know what? I want to fight for Clayton because I think it'll be fun. So I told Johnny essentially that. Oh, no. <laughs> Look, so I did pick Die probably, Hard's first. Wizard of Oz might be like my favorite movie of all time, if not in. At least in my like top five or top ten. So I love it to death, but that moment pisses me off. It's my number one like if like no one had ever seen a movie before, it's my number one pick of like that's yeah. where you start. For sure. Mine is the raid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, five year old. Let's let's watch that. <laughs> yeah, that All is right, the Tristan, let's let's get our watch. next category. Yeah, I think we're, actually, I no, think we have, and bases. we're at the last one. Oh yeah, well, I guess we, we have, have wheels. wheels, and then we have overall the villains after. Yeah, that, yeah. well, last one that yeah, we don't Bloody need the Bloody we don't need the wheel. Yeah, just spin <laughs> it. Spin it. You know, it might land let's on see, layers of faces. You never know. Let's see which way like Thanos ends like, up. It's like Thanos snapping people out. You know. Yeah. Oh, what do you know? Layers. Oh no! Surprising. Layers and faces. We did it. All right, so I guess I'm up. Uh... Mine might be an unconventional pick. It's not maybe necessarily what you think of when you think layers and bases, but I went with uh, Bates Motel from Psycho. It's where the main villain operates out of. It's super iconic. I think it's still on the uh, Hollywood Studios tour. Uh, It's iconic enough. They named a show after it, and people knew exactly what they were talking about. And so that is my pick is Bates Motel from Psycho. All right. Well, It'll break my heart having to fight against Psycho. But I went with, you know, this didn't go well for me in costumes, but I am going with Blofeld's base under the volcano, and you only live <laughs> twice. And the reason for that is because every movie that a villain has a secret lair or base, the reason for that is because of Blofeld's volcano lair. It's great in the movie. It's set up very well why people wouldn't find out where it is. It's the reason we have the villain layer in like the Incredibles and a million other things, mostly based out of volcanoes. And I think that's it's so epic for a villain to to have that a secret space shuttle underneath the volcano that opens up is really cool, very iconic. Um, and even if you haven't seen the franchise, you've seen a million movies where a boss has you know a volcano base. Just like if you see anytime you see Doctor Claw with his cat and all these other villains with cats, Mister. Uh, Winkles, or whatever the fuck his name is, in Cats and Dogs. That's because of Blofeld. You have the same base uh, type of setup for movies going forward because of this uh, specific base. 
slash lair, not a hotel. Yeah. Motel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so for mine, I'm going with what is on my shirt, and it may not be the one you're expecting. I am going with Jabba's Palace from The Return of the Jedi. Um, I think that it is a super, like, it's one of the best, It's to me, it's one of the best scenes, like, in that movie, Return of the Jedi, where it, it it's bookended by their best scenes in the beginning and end, and the middle is just kind of okay. But the reason it's so, it's so iconic is because of them entering Jabba's Palace, Luke going in there, the, the, the whole trap door. Um, you have Leia, you have, you show a lot of the kind of landscape of the palace itself as you go in. You get to see um, his kind of decorations with Han frozen in carbonite. You get to see Leia um, as the slave and what's going on there. You have a cool break in scene, uh, an infiltration scene, which I think is cool to kind of see the entire base. Um, and, and in Star Wars history, they've brought it back. Now it's going to be featured in the, in the Boba Fett series. That's where he goes into at the end of Mandalorian season two. Um, it's a, it's a, un, I mean, also like Maz, the Moss Eisley, it's a hive of scum and villainy. I think it's a cool aesthetic. I think you get to see all the bounty hunters. You get to see them just hanging out, drinking, partying, having fun. Um, and also with the kind of hint that they could all possibly die at any moment because Jabba could just have them killed. Um, so I think it's a, it's a cool one. It's a palace. It's very grand. It's very cool. It's kind of the, this um, underground uh, gangster kind of hideout for Tatooine. And I think it's a great location for, for a villain. I now know the struggle of having to pick on these categories. So oh, yeah, this is your first be... one. Yeah, you get two back to back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, two big ones. And uh, look, I love all of these movies, honestly. Like, I, I think... I'm leading a certain way for the elimination, but I don't, I don't want to give my hand away too much. I want to hear you guys' arguments really quick. I'll start with Joe. Which one would you eliminate if you were the judge? Yeah, I'm eliminating uh, Jabba's Palace first because you have to listen to the nice size noodle song when you go there, and no one wants to have to do that. <laughs> Only in That's the uh, yeah, in the re- whatever the new versions. Yeah, Not well, the that's the canon version. So if you go there, you're gonna have to listen to that song, and that's a big knock against that that layer. At least with mine and uh, Johnny's, we don't have to hear shitty music when we go. Here's here's my thing, and while I agree, I don't want to listen to that music in Bobby's lair. Bobby's is a lair. Bobby's is Jabba's specific palace. You fall in the trap door. You have booby traps. I think that is key to like a villain uh, type of base or lair. While yes, it's just kind of the place he lives. I think I'm the only one who actually chose like an actual base or lair. Um, Joe's is just a motel that he happens to be at. If and no, live at. It's his base of hotels. operations of killing people. But not by design. It's just where his mom lived. You know, I think that he could go cause havoc anywhere that he brings his dead mother to. Um, but I don't know. I, I think with mine, if I'm looking at what spawned like other memorable things, I think if you look at a volcano lair, you see that multiple times in history and just like an underground base for a villain you see like a villain with a with a palace with booby traps and stuff because of Jabba's palace and you don't really you can't really say that anyone like killing people in a hotel like the movie Vacancy is like based in a villain lair because of Bates Motel um, which is a very iconic place but not so much a villain lair yeah and that's where I, I don't want to go into a full argument because I agree like with Johnny's my first thought with the Bates Motel is it's cool. It's a fantastic movie and the character's great, but I don't think of that as the villain's lair or base. 
Um, it doesn't, like I said, like booby traps are one of the kind of definitions of like a villain layer that's become uh, like in pop culture, what you would expect. Um, and I think that is kind of a key feature and also just, it's not a real world situation. Um, a motel is just something you would go into in the real world and be like, oh, this is a motel. Whereas a volcano base and a palace on a desert planet for a gangster, like those are pretty massive scaled villain bases. So that's that's what I would go with. Uh, Joe, can you get, have a couple seconds to defend yourself? Why is yours actually a base? Because, I mean, you you could say a palace is like where he lives. I base mean, of a base of minus a base of operations. They all live in their spots. So just because he lives there doesn't take it away because all of our main villains live in our spots. Maybe it's not the most conventional not choice. Mine. What? He doesn't live there. He's a lair. Oh. Well, either way, I'm sure he's taking naps there. But you know, <laughs> what, what what's more greater than a lair than to you don't even he doesn't even have to convince people to come to you know where he does his evil. Like they just come on their own volition, and I feel like that's almost makes it a better lair of his. He wants to kill people, and he has a situation set up where people just come to him willingly, so he can kill them. And I feel like that's almost. A genius idea for a lair it's not flashy it's not you know ornate or crazy it's just like a simple 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 plan and you have Perfect. a one-star view on uh um yelp well yelp didn't exist in the 60s or, or whatever it's called uh what is it the bed and breakfast or wherever you go stay at people have little houses <laughs> that you go to you don't want Airbnb. to find oh you mean airbnbs, Airbnb. <laughs> that's the word i was looking for one right, star this is tough. Uh, me and Joe talked about this the other day, and he mentioned that he was going to do the base motel, and he was like, but does that count as a base? And I was like, oh, yeah, that would count, I think. But I think Bobby and Johnny just pick slightly more. Like, so I would still call the base motel a layer of Norman Bates, but I think that Johnny and Bobby just picked more, more of a layer. <laughs> you know, like if I was going by the definitive <laughs> layer, I'm going with uh, Johnny and Bobby here. We're going to narrowly narrowly cut Joe, but I do think it was a good, Ooh. interesting choice. It is on the Universal Tour. So I like the outside of the box it. thing. Yep. But, you know. Hey, I'll, yeah, no, I, as someone who argued for Clayton's Clayton. death and Johnny for Blofeld's costume, yeah, I, I like that pick. His mouse suit. Yeah. 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 All right, so we'll make this kind of quick. I don't know. Bobby, I think, did pick a good um, layer. It has booby traps. It has the trap door. Mine has all of that and more. Mine is in a secret location. Most of the movie is Bond trying to find out where it is. I think it's key to have for a villain to be in kind of a secret lair base. I like that trope a lot better than like everyone knows where Jabba's palace is. Maybe you don't want to go there, but it's not really a secret lair or base. And I like the secrecy in terms of like where a villain goes to kind of hide away and do their evil plans. Um, I, I think that's kind of cool. I, it's kind of like, um, you know, the Death Star, which is where I thought Bobby was going, even though that's more of a weapon or a space station, yeah. I guess. But the um, the thing with mine is, you know, you see a lot of it. Mine has the traps. You have the piranhas in the water that he hits a button and people fall down and slide into there and get eaten by piranhas. Without that scene, you might not have the Jabba trapdoor. You know, you get a lot of the cool stuff. You get a space shuttle with a volcano opening and stuff like that. You get a lot of the famous iconic scenes. You explore a lot more of my lair. You see all of the cool elements. You don't see a ton of Jabba's Palace outside of the 
trapdoor area that he falls into and Jabba's throne. You don't really get to see a ton of uh, other areas that's uh, explored other than maybe the carbonite station. All right. Um, so I'm going to make this very quick and say that as a Bond fan, it has to be Blofeld's, Blofeld's <laughs> lair. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was going to pick that, but I knew Johnny would pick it. So I was like, I want to fight for something different. And honestly, Bond is known for its villain layers, and that's the most iconic, and everyone has mimicked it and copied it. So, yeah, give it to John, give it to oh, the Blofelds, yeah. because that's that yeah. would have been my probably number one pick. Is there is there oh, a specific movie or? Yeah, it's from yeah. It's, um, You Only Live Twice. Yeah, you, that one. I haven't seen yes. many Bond movies, but this is the one of the ones that I've seen. And I'll yeah. be honest, one of the things that drew me to seeing the movie is the base. Like that base is so cool, and I I do agree with Johnny. Like Bobby's base is cool, but it's like the first fifteen minutes of the movie, and I think Blowfield's base is like the centerpiece of the movie essentially. And like I think that just is much more interesting. And like you said, like this is kind of a, the precursor for all these bases, and every other base kind of tries to like live up to this space and never does. <laughs> So I'm going to go with the Bullfield Volcano base. And I honestly was like, okay, if someone picks that, that's probably going to win. And then, of course, Johnny picked it, and then it won. Of course. I couldn't even think of any yeah. others. Any other one I thought of, I was like, Volcano Base in uh, The Incredibles. Wait, no, that's based off No, mine. that's based on, the, yeah. 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 Yep, I that's thought of it. kind of why I went with Bates Motel is because there weren't a whole lot of other great Bates options. Yeah. That was more of, I know Johnny's going to pick this one, so I'm going to pick something that I want to fight for, but as soon as Johnny started talking, I'm like, I can't not pick my number one choice. <laughs> well, I do I do like that Joe picked the, the layer of, of Norman Bates, and I like that it was kind of like this hidden in plain sight kind of layer, and I think Joe yeah. could have fought a little bit harder for his being a layer, but, you know, Johnny won. Johnny won that one with the pick. Yeah. I wasn't beating Blofeld's that. lair, so I'm like, I'll just, <laughs> I can maybe edge out Bobby now just to lose to Johnny later, so. Yeah, my thoughts yeah. exactly on that. We're coming up on our last category now, the, the ultimate category, where I did all movie villains, so this last category is the ultimate movie villain. I'm the one who's uh, making the call on this, so Joe, Johnny, and Bobby are going to be arguing for who they think is the ultimate movie villain. All Let's right. start with a, a Johnny on this one since thought... Joe went first last time. Okay, yeah, fuck it. Here, we'll change it up. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Earth Stavro Blofeld. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I I think movie villain, um, being ahead of your time is great. Spawning a bunch of uh, things that's relevant to today is is key. You watch all of the movies nowadays, whether it's Mitchell's Versus the Machines or Ex Machina or thousands of examples, even The Terminator. It's about robots or AI taking over the world, and that... I would say started with Hail 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think that is the greatest movie villain of all time um, because of the iconic lines and all it really is is the the red dot that flashes on and off and you get the great voice and it's something that is still so relevant to today. You go back and watch that movie, it brings up a lot of the questions worth thinking about now that AI is is so uh, relevant and in today's culture. And I think a movie that came out in 1968 to really do that with a villain is... is uh, is awesome and it also just spawns so many replicas and copies and had a lot of famous lines and you know started showing humanity it was afraid to die at the end of it so you saw the ai growing and learning you saw it read lips and things like that um that i think is really cool so i'd say hail 9000 is the hall of fame worthy uh villain i like that choice uh, where did you go with the bobby you're muted you're muted, you're muted. You're my bad 
I'm good. All right, so I went with a character that I think is the most iconic villain from the most or one of the most iconic franchises of all time. Um, and one, a villain that even if you've never seen any of the movies, you know and know that he is the villain of this franchise, um, even if it's not always true. And that is Darth Vader um, from Star Wars. I think the breathing, uh, the intimidating costume and look, the, red, the original red lightsaber, um, the voice of, of um, uh, you know, the voice and stature of the character, the combination of two actors portraying the character, James Earl Jones, obviously with the deep voice. And then I forget the actor who plays him in the costume, but um, I think the oh, character creation is one of the best characters of all time. He's actually played by four different actors technically throughout, a, throughout the franchise. Um, and I, and I think that, it just stands out above all the rest as uh, the best, the most intimidating, and also one of the best character arcs also of a villain. All right, Joe, you're up. What'd you go with? All right, so I want, you know, I'm surprised we all went more like old school. I definitely went old school as well, and I went with a character I've talked about before, and I went with the Wicked Witch of the West. I feel like you talk about iconicness. She has iconic lines. She has an iconic look. Uh, you talk about like spawning other things. The whole idea of how we picture what a witch looks like stems from her look. She was, I believe, had like super pale skin in the book, and they decide because they're making it a color movie that they're going to make her green. And so we've kind of pictured witches that way for you know, basically any fictional witch ever since. Uh, iconic enough that they've, you know, made plays and movies and all this, trying to give her, you know, explain her backstory of why she is the way she is. Uh, you know, an iconic enough death uh, to be in consideration for a Hall of Fame. And, yeah, that's why I went with uh, Wicked Witch of the West. I do have to make a correction and say six different actor- actors for yeah. Darth Vader, by the way. Yeah, because Rogue One and other things. Yep. And three in the original franchise because of the death scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All good picks here. It's going to be really hard to make this final call, especially because you guys all went in like very different directions. Like There wasn't one where it's like, oh, those are both pretty much the same type of villain, so you can delete one instantly. But I'm, I'm leaning kind of one direction, but not really. I'm, I'm pretty much split on you guys, so I want to hear some arguments uh, briefly. Start with Joe. What? Which one would you eliminate of the of the other two uh, options? My thing against uh, Darth Vader is more I know uh, Bobby was talking about character arc, but especially now with the prequels and all that, I see him more as like a tragic character because he starts as a hero in his journey, ends as a hero, and it's more just like a hero that lost his way. If you just if you were like born when the original trilogy came out, I can understand separating Vader from Anakin, but I think at this point. He's more of a heroic character that has a tragic story rather than a villainous character, and that's why I didn't pick him. So that would be my choice for elimination. Yeah, you know, um, Darth Vader has an iconic look. He was based off a lot of the, you know, the samurai films. So you see that in his armor um, and wielding the lightsaber and stuff. And you know, but I think a, a key to villain motivation or to a good villain is the motivation and. Joe's doesn't really have any um, as far as Revenge for her sister. Older movie. Yeah, but she's known as like the Wicked Witch of the West before her sister dies. It's just like, hey, she's evil. Um, I think that's fine, like especially in older movies. And, you know, if we were doing about Rushmore, I think she does go on it. But again, we talked about I can't stand how she dies. I think it's kind of a lame, um, uh, you know, ex machina type of ending to it, especially since it was an accident. 
And I, if you go Deus Ex Machina, and if you, you know, but speaking of Ex Machina, if you go by things that are still relevant, it's AI taking over and learning for themselves and deciding that humanity is the problem. And I think mine at least has a motivation that sticks up. Bobby's is a space Nazi, um, which is still relevant to today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And Joe's is just kind of an evil witch in a fantasy land. So I guess I'd go eliminate the Wicked Witch on this just because I think she's like the evil queen been surpassed by other witches and villains in uh in pop culture and movies. Um, I could make this easy and, you know, just kind of pick Joe's, but honestly my pick for elimination was going to be uh, Hell 9000, Johnny's pick, because I think that as far as iconography, I think the Wicked Witch and Darth Vader are way more iconic. I think that Hell is known by a lot of movie buffs, um, but doesn't really stand out. And I think as a, it's like it needs some type of, personification to be the best villain of all time um instead of just being an ai with a red dot i don't think that holds up quite as much to me as as far as like but like the look of the wicked witch the look of darth vader the performances of both you can picture their voices you can picture them as a figure uh versus just a voice over the intercom or a red light um and as far as darth vader being a villain i mean that is what he is known for he is the villain of the original trilogy um, good. Everyone knows him yeah. as right at this point but honestly and then again he shows up in rogue one and, and is the most intimidating and best part of that movie as well and has such a crazy scene he's known as one of the most iconic villains of all time i think he needs to be at least in the conversation between the two finalists um no matter what you go with and i would yeah i would eliminate personally johnny's pick well that didn't help me in any way but uh i that <laughs> Uh, look, this is hard because there's three of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I'm in love with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Star Wars is like, obviously, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. It's like pretty much a defining franchise for me. And I love The Wizard of Oz, and I think The Wicked Witch is one of the reasons that it's such a hugely uh, impactful, kind of memorable movie. And I can't believe that I'm going to go with this, but I'm going to have to eliminate Vader from the conversation. It's an extremely, extremely close discussion, but I think the fact that he has this, without throughout the entire franchise, like he has this hero's journey where he's not necessarily a villain by the end of it. Like even by the end of his own trilogy, he's not like a villainous character. So I think maybe if you're saying like, oh, in this one movie, he's the villain and just in Star Wars, he's the villain. But if you're talking about the whole franchise of Star Wars, like I wouldn't necessarily... Call, I mean, I would, but when you look at the other two, like one's an evil witch and one's a uh, rogue AI, and I think both of them are pretty cool characters. Like, I'll say that I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey in theaters, and people were all really into Hell 9000. That scene where he reads the lips, like, people were reacting to it like oh, it was like a thriller, you know, for this really dry movie. People were really into it. And obviously, The Wicked Witch has so many mo- moments that I love and so many memorable quotes, so I can't wait to hear the arguments here. I have no idea which one I'm going to go with. Yeah, no. This I can is, say I disagreed. Is, uh, I disagree just because I love Vader, but honestly, those are two great picks, so I'm up for choosing between them. This is a, a fun fight because Joe famously probably said on this show, not a fan of 2001 Space Odyssey. Joe's one of the haters. Um, but we're both big fans of uh, Wizard of Oz. My, my problem with it is, like I said, we're talking about Mount Rushmore. I think Joe's definitely deserves to be on, even though I would argue mine does as well. Um, even though instead of a face, it would just be a dot on the mountain. Um, I think if you're looking at what holds up in today's culture, what is something that's more socially relevant and what, you know, 
just if you look at the great villains of all time, a lot of that has to do with character motivations. Joe's character, sure, maybe you can argue she's fueled by revenge, but she's known as the evil witch. She is just bad because she's bad. She's green, whatever they've tried to done, you know, do like prequels to it and explain why. And those have kind of all failed. Hail 9000 was super ahead of its time. It makes her one of the greatest villains ever and is still the motivation. Like, like I said, the best movie of this year is the Mitchells versus the Machines and the motivation is a, uh, basically an iPhone that gets thrown away and decides to take over humanity because only AI can live peacefully. Humans are the problem. That's something that you see in the Terminator franchise. You see in every other famous you know, franchise that you don't have without Hell 9000. You can't look at any franchises that are going strong today or big movies coming out today and crediting the Wicked Witch of the West because of the great villain in modern day film. Right, my uh, defense for the Wicked Witch of the West is, number one, like I said, the look, but one of my knocks against Hal would be that, you know, because of the anthology aspect of 2001, he's not really in throughout the whole movie where the Wicked Witch of the West is throughout the entire movie. I would also say one of the things we've brought up before is, like, what would the exhibit look like? I feel like Johnny said the exhibit for Hal would just kind of be, like, that dot and that kind of, like, rectangle with the red circle. Talk to you. He's sweet. And then, you'd like, the, like a Witch of the West, you'd have, like, the costume, you'd have the broom, you could have, you know, flying around, cackling. I feel like that would be... A sign like, that says no no food or drink. Yeah, exactly. No See, we're, we're building, <laughs> we're building the uh, exhibit as we speak. I feel like the, just, like, the iconic voice of the, you know, the performance of Margaret Hamilton as, you know, the Wicked Witch is iconic itself. You just have all the lines, like, where... Dorothy screaming for Annie M and the Wicked Witch pops in and she's just like, Annie M, Annie M, you have, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. I'm melting, I'm melting. I feel like how the one, the main one that sticks out, you know, for me is, or he just has like one or two iconic lines, especially in just like a small part of the movie where mine is a main villain throughout the entire movie. I, I would, my real quick one before Tristan uh, makes his decision is, I think you do have famous lines and Bobby talking about monologues earlier going with Rucker Hauer and Blade Runner. I don't think you have that scene without the death scene of Hale being shut down and showing fear and showing humanity. That was something that you saw so much in culture that spanned all these sci-fi franchises. Um, with that, it's, it's a very similar, and you could dissect both of those kind of monologues of, you know, Hal showing fear and saying, I'm afraid to die. And then, you know, in Blade Runner having that really famous uh, um, scene of the of the Blade Runner, you know, dying and kind of showing humanity. And I think that mine just spawned more iconic um, roles that are still relevant, like I said. Yeah. And mine with specifically my villain, people have been trying to explain the witch's backstory and, you know, a bunch of different stories. So there's still a connection to this specific character, even though the character, you know, the character has existed in film for 80 years. Look, this is, this is real hard. Cause I love wizard of Oz. I think it's a very iconic villain. And then like you said, like we've seen stuff like wicked that goes and tries to explain that origin story. And I love wicked. I think it's like an incredible musical. One of the, I think it was the first one I saw and I like really fell in love with it. And it was kind of like a gateway into liking musical theater for me. But I I love Hell 9000, and I think he has a bit more of like a an arc than the Wicked Witch does. Like I wouldn't expect an arc from a, from a witch character necessarily, but I think Hell has like a a downward spiral kind of arc where it's like he has this 
calculated mind and then as he as something like an order he gets from up on high that contradicts with his core tenets he kind of like falls apart and when i think of 2001 a space odyssey i think of like i can't do that dave and like the very cold delivery from hell 9000 i think of hell's death scene for comparing death scenes i think scarecrow accidentally knocking some water over is not as cool as the protagonist of the movie working against all of his odds to survive and slowly pulling out the pieces one by one and you hear hell's voice like decaying and saying i i feel it i feel it dave i'm dying i'm dying and his voice just kind of slowly dissolves so i don't know it's a kind of a shock compared to the three that were up there but i'm gonna go for the best ultimate movie villain it's gonna be hell 9000 okay yeah buddy right all right so that brings us i was us... excited for that one i was gonna go blowfeld no i was like nah <laughs> can't talk about him 80 times <laughs> every category is blowfeld all next right. yeah next time all right so that brings us to our first ever movie change up hall of fame class and our hall of fame class in the realm of villains we have uh jack nicholson's monologue as colonel nathan r jessup and a few good men we have the performance of Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards. We have the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. Uh, we have Nick Knack uh, from The Man with the Golden Gun, played by uh, whatever his name was. Herbie Velchez. There we go. Hey. We have the Boba Fett costume from The Empire Strikes Back. We have the death of Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Uh, we have Blo- Blofeld. clean up. Yeah. We have Blofeld's Lair from You Only Live Twice, and we have HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Look, if I can't let me change it, but I can do good here. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. This I is got... so reflective. Look how reflective this So, is. yeah, I see your computer. Yeah, it's like a mirror. Yeah. Revealing a studio. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, next um, time we do a Hall of Fame, I'll get one on there, but goddamn. That was really fun, though. It was yeah. so hard yeah. to make that final call. I was. Almost going towards Joe because I was like, I feel like Joe hasn't even gotten one yet. And I, I did not. It. <laughs> but <laughs> that's yeah, what I, I get for. That's what I get for. Joe went all about Rushmore picks. He should have yeah. went more personal. You know, yeah. you can fight behind. I want Hale because I just he's yeah. one of my favorites. You know. Yeah, basically, I'm like I just went for like the most iconic look every single time for all of my picks, except for uh, Bates Motel. Except for, it's not really yeah, Bates Motel was a good pick though. Yeah, there were no, like, terrible picks. You know, it wasn't one where I was like, well, that was bad, or that's obviously the deletion. Like, even the mm-hmm. ones where it was pretty obvious which one was going to go, it was still, like, a good pick. You know, it wasn't yeah. just a terrible, terrible choice. Yeah, I agree for sure. There, yeah. there, I, like, I like when people fight for their own personal choices because I want to hear their arguments against maybe what be, might what might be more iconic. But still, it's like you're going to have a little bit more passion if that's your love and your pick because it's your movie you grew up with or what stands out to you the most so it's always fun yeah for yeah. sure anyone have any other final thoughts on go see Corella. great villain origin movie yeah or don't <laughs> i haven't watched it but... i saw it it was right. bad i had a really good time with it I, I it's it's it. not it's entertaining and emma stone's great but the plot's terrible i'll give a shout out to um dave season two on fx and uh basically hulu if you have a streaming service uh is coming out i think next week i just rewatched season one last night and today that show um is incredible it's about Lil dicky and you never would expect a show to be so heartfelt based on what people would consider like a parody rapper but that show is really funny and very heartfelt and really well acted and i 
highly recommend Dave if you've never seen it. And I will say, if you are a Superman fan or a comic book fan, uh, check out Superman and Lois. I know it's on CW. I was I long given up on the CW DC shows, but I'd heard people praise it who had also given up on the CW DC shows. And I decided to check it out, and it's kind of a new, interesting, and different perspective on Superman. And I really like Tyler Hoechlin's performance. So I will say, if you enjoy Superman, to check out that show. And I would say. Uh go see in the heights i think it's fantastic even if you don't like musicals i think it's going to be a delight and joy i know johnny gave up on it based on the trailer and he's not a big fan of of musicals in general but um i think it was really well done it was amazingly directed very well performed the music's great and the story is really good so if, if you just want to smile i would go see that movie all right i also recommend in the heights great great movie see it in a the theater if you can yep all right, before I'm going we keep... to just watch it, I've decided, by the way. Because I love the cast and the director, but I'm very not looking forward to it. If you if you have an open mind, you might be surprised. Yeah, I definitely go into things with open minds. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're self-aware. Sounds you like know? you. At least you're self-aware. All right. Have a nice night, um, everybody. See you later. <laughs>